Good morning, church. You are invited to a very special event today. Uh, we are going to have a kind of duel, a preach-off between Pastor Bud Palmberg and myself. And the word on the street is, he knows the congregation a little bit better than I do. I've only been here. It's my second time preaching. So he, he, he's a little bit more accurate, but I'm also a little quicker. So we'll see who shall remain standing. But come on up here. <laughs> Welcome back. Quicker in the mind or quicker in speech or I assume you're just quicker in running. I have been informed repeatedly by Pastor Peter that I have 15 minutes. And some of you who said, oh yeah, please reserve comment until I check it out. Some people have made the mistaken assumption that I was the founder of Mercer Island Covenant Church. I was not. The church existed before I came. It had experienced some wonderful experiences and times, and some difficult times. And when I arrived, I became aware of some of the saints that God had already brought here, and that were instrumental in causing the church to be formed. There's one couple I want you to know, Arnie and Betty Holing. Brad Holing, the son of this union, one of the sons, Brad, Randy, and Darby, and his wife Debbie are here. Brad, where are you? Raise your hand. There you are. And... Betty Holing, that dear lady, is here. Arnie and Betty had a desire to see a Sunday school, eventually a church on Mercer Island. They were members of First Covenant Church downtown on Pike and Bellevue, and the church kind of commissioned them to come out here, and they started the Mercer Island Covenant Church in the recreation room of a First Presbyterian man by the name of Lester Seed. There was a small congregation that gathered. There they are. That's the entire beginning of Mercer Island Covenant Church. They soon moved to the VFW Hall, which you know is across the street from the Roanoke. I don't have a picture of that. And then when they outgrew that or got tired of cleaning it up from Saturday night's parties, they built the first unit of the Mercer Island Covenant Church, which was located across the street where the post office now is. That's the site. And the next is a picture of the first building. That building is now the youth building. Up the stairs to your left, that's all it was. They moved it over across the street raised it up, put another floor underneath, and the first edition, which was also Hanson Hall. Looking at it from the 78th Street, 
this is what it was when I arrived. The reader board out there in front had movable letters and no covering, and so the first thing I did in the morning was change what was being said on the reader board because some of our teenagers were very creative in putting what they wanted to on there. There's another view. That's Jeff and Chrissy, our children, and myself, and we're looking across the beautiful park that is now across the street, which was just a gravel pit that the kids played on, and that's the church in the background. You can see the hillside. There wasn't too much there. Next. That's a close-up of the church, and that under the portico, those doors are the doors across the narthex that go up the stairs. Next, this is a site of the sanctuary where the cross on the chancel wall is. That used to be the kitchen. That is now the kitchen. And that room is now called Hanson Hall, up the stairs and to your right. And when the Lord prospered and blessed our congregation, it grew, and we had to construct that building, which was the first of several buildings that those of you who've been around for a while remember. Now, the reason I shared those pictures is because I want you to know that the past of this congregation is filled with memorable things. Some of us who have been here for a long time remember those things. And I would remind you of the passage of Scripture which Seth read for us. And that is that when Joshua took over after the death of Moses, he had what I would only call an unenviable task. I am sure that everything that Joshua said in the first couple of years of his leadership had the response of the congregation of Israel, that ain't the way Moses did it. And that's a constant problem. Don't you ever lay that kind of a trip on Pastor Peter. Don't ever say, that's not the way Pastor Greg did. That's not the way Pastor Eric did. That's not the way the old man did either. <laughs> Joshua faced the, the Jordan River to go into the promised land. And there, the river was at flood tide. Joshua had experienced the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea. He had seen Moses used by God to lead the children of Israel through the parted Red Sea. But the congregation, the people of Israel, had not been there. That entire generation had died off, except for Caleb and Joshua. Joshua knew what God could do. The people didn't. They saw the flood tide that separated them from the promised land. Joshua was instructed by God, have the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant, and when they put their feet in the water, the water will stop. And it did. And the children of Israel walked through on the dry land. And then the Lord said, Joshua, I want you to take 12 stones, pick 12 men, have them pick up a big rock and carry it on the other side and take it to Gilgal, which is where you're going to be camping for a, quite a while, and pile them up there. And if you look at the ninth chapter of the fourth, or the ninth verse of the fourth chapter, 
There's an alternate translation to that which says, then Joshua went down into the center of the river and he piled up 12 stones by himself in the middle of the river. And I've wondered, why? Why did Joshua put him in the river when the waters return? Nobody will see those stones. Oh, wait a minute. When the water is low, during periods of drought or hardship, those stones would show up. And even in the period of drought and hardship, there would be the reminder, God has been present. God has acted in this place. He will act again. And then he had those rocks at Gilgal. And the scripture says that there was a purpose for that. It wasn't just to give 12 men the exercise of carrying a rock. It was, in fact, to remind them. So first of all, preachers should have three points, right? First of all, they were the rocks of remembrance. Every time the people saw that pile of rocks, they remembered what God had done in bringing them through the Jordan River into God's promised land. Rocks of remembrance. Second, they were the rocks of instruction. It says here, in the future, when your children ask you, what do those stones mean? Tell them. Church, your responsibility, those of you who have lived long enough and joyously followed Christ to see what he has accomplished, Remember those rocks. But your privilege and your responsibility is to teach the children. To tell them these rocks are rocks not only of remembrance, but they're rocks of instruction to teach you. You remember the Deuteronomy passage, chapter 6. These commandments that I give you today shall be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. When you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them in your heart, in your foreheads. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. In other words, the recitation of the faithfulness of God should be a part of your entire lifestyle. Teaching your children, not just verbally, but by the quality of your discipleship. Third, they are not only the rocks of remembrance or the rocks of instruction, but they are the rocks of witness. In verse 24, he says of Joshua, He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. In other words, the memories we have of God's faithfulness is used as teaching tools for our children. But also, the witness of what God's faithfulness has accomplished is a testimony to those who are around us, and must be, and must be, a reminder that God wants lost people found. And that's one of the tasks that God has placed before us that the rocks of remembrance that we have seen in these brief slides and the memories that we have of the good old days are only rocks of remembrance that 
encourage us and convince us that God's leading us into the future, not sitting there in the past. Remember when he identified himself to Moses and Moses said, who shall I say sent me? God didn't say, I was. He said, I am the eternal present. There's one other thing. Joshua in chapter 3 says to the children of Israel, receiving a word from the Lord, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. As I see Pastor Peter taking the realms and the privileged position of being our pastor, I am reminded of the fact that we must consecrate ourselves for not just the past, but for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among us. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. When I was praying about coming to this church or not, I was thinking about the history of this church that I had uh, done a little research on and trying to figure all the pieces into my thinking. And at that time, I was going through uh, the stories about Elijah and Elisha. Elijah came first, and he was a great prophet. Some would say the greatest prophet. And then he was to go. It was time. And Elisha was to succeed him. And the Lord led Elisha to pray for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And uh, I was reading that. And, you know, I don't like when preachers use God's name like this. But I did feel like God was saying, and uh, that's my opinion, Peter, that's what I want you to pray for. I want you to pray for a double portion of the spirit that was in Bud. And so I didn't know what to do with that. But it spoke to me about God's call on my life for this church. That God wasn't calling me to cast aside everything that that had been before me and to say we are doing a new thing. But to honor the past so that God can lead us into the future. And so I met with Pastor Bud, our first meeting, and uh, we were talking for a while, and then I shared this story with him, and I said, Bud, I think God wants you to pray for me, and I need you to put your hand on my head, and I'm going to kneel in front of you, and I need you to pray for me. And I want you to pray that God would grant me a double portion of the same spirit that was in you, to be in me. And uh, that's, not, that's not an overly ambitious prayer. In the old days when you prayed for a double portion, it didn't mean that you wanted twice the ministry or twice the inheritance. It just meant that as the eldest son, remember they practiced what they called primogeniture. It means that the eldest son received the inheritance to carry on the, the weight of the family name. And so a double portion meant that this eldest son was to get double what all the other sons were getting. 
so that they can carry on. And so it didn't, doesn't mean that I want to do better. It means that I want to continue what God started long years before Bud got here. And then Bud received that ministry. And then Pastor Eric. And then Pastor Greg. And now me. The power of my ministry at this church comes from the fact that I'm stepping into a stream that has been flowing long before I got here. And it will continue to flow long after I and even you are gone. Because the gospel we preach is bigger than ourselves. We preach a God that is bigger than ourselves. We are part of a grand story, but just a part. And the the part of the story we get to tell, this is the part of the elephant we have our hands on. But there's so much more to God and to life than we all collectively can understand and preach together. Amen? So we humble ourselves before this call. So I'm honored. I'm honored to receive... The baton. I was supposed to receive a baton from Pastor Bud. What happened to the baton? Did we lose the baton? We actually went through the trouble of steal. I mean, borrowing a baton from the high school, and I saw it this week, and I don't know what happened to it. Anyway, there there goes that um, uh, <laughs> illustration. Um, when, uh, when I was uh, just uh, um, a newcomer to the covenant, I received a letter uh, from the denomination, from the uh, office, and it was a letter requesting that I submit names for a new president for our denomination. And there was sort of an asterisk to this request, and it said, we want to acknowledge the new work that God is doing in our midst and through the covenant, Therefore, we want to especially ask you to think about uh, persons who are not male and who are not white, was basically what they were asking for. They wanted minority names. And I I had a mixed reaction to this request. And I wrote back a letter. They didn't want a letter. They wanted names. But I wrote a letter back to the denomination. And I said in this letter... I really appreciate your adaptability as mission friends. That's what the covenant is. And one of the key ingredients of being a good missionary is to be adaptable. So I love that about you guys. But there are things about the covenant that drew me, a minority, into the covenant in the first place. And all of those things have to do with not just what's happening now, but more, much more to do with who you guys are are historically the DNA that formed the covenant in the first place. Your history is what's attractive to me. Your historical values are what drew me to this denomination. Of all the denominations I had to choose from in the first place. And I would hate for us to grow through dilution. We want to be more of who we are and not less. We want to not sacrifice our identity for the purposes of survival. Because what's the purpose of surviving? What is surviving if our identity gets diluted? 
This is my firm belief for this church. That our future, who we are going to be, if you want to know, if you want to be able to predict the future, look to the past. Why was this church started in the first place? What were the motivations, the dreams, the DNA? We want to be more of who we are. When God, but interrupt me. That was not the original baton. (laughs) That was a rolled up piece of construction paper. (laughs) But lucky for us, we have lots of engineers. (laughs) Thank you, Kent from Microsoft. (laughs) There are reasons that this church was started. And when God wants to change us, either individually or collectively, the problem is not that we are, he wants us to be other than we are. The problem is that we are being less than we are. There is an original image of God in which you and I are created, and we have fallen short of this image. And so God's problem with us, God's desire to change us, is rooted in trying to get us to become more of who we are and not less or other. There is nothing wrong with you originally. There is a Peter song that I am falling short of every day. So he wants to change this false Peter, this false self, into the true Peter that he wants me to be, that he created me to be. The same is true of Mercer Island Covenant Church. There is a true Mercer Island Covenant Church. And we have been falling short. I have seen the charts. I have read the reports. The graph goes down and to the right instead of up and to the right. Attendance going down. Finances going down. Not because we're being who we are, but because we are being less than the reasons for which we were planted in the first place. That's why they hired a former recovering church planter. Because <laughs> we need to think like church planters again. We need to think what we, like what we call a core team or a launch team. Not into a future that is unknown, but into our history, actually. This is why I wanted to have this moment with Bud. How powerful was that? God's calling all of us together, the older and the newer, into the future that God has for us that's rooted in our history. Now, the passage that Seth read for us, Luke 11, it's the Lord's Prayer, and there's so much I can say about this, and I actually have much more in my notes, but I'm not going to go into it because Bud preached so short, he's going to embarrass me here. But I told him I'm giving him 15 minutes and myself 16. So I want you to focus on one thing. Verse 3, Jesus says, pray in this way. Give us each day our daily bread. 
Now, if you were to do a Greek study, I, t- I mentioned last week a website called Bible.org. If you go to this website and you hover over the word each day, it'll just mean daily or today. It's just referring to the day that we're presently living in right now. So one of the more general translations of this word is the present, right now. Not the past, not the future, but right now, today, this moment. Diem, carpe diem, seize today. That's what that word is. And then you move your mouse over to the phrase daily bread, And it sounds a little bit redundant. Why would you say, give us today, today's bread? And so when you study this word, there'll be a little bit of a footnote, and then there's a long explanation for this little word that's translated here daily. And you know what this means? The um, folks who write Greek lexicons will tell you, This word is an eschatological word. Eschatological means having to do with the end times. And what this is actually saying is, give us today, at this present moment, the bread that is to come. It has a future eschatological sense to it. It means today... God, I want to taste of the bread that is to come. Now, historically, the Lord's Prayer has been translated sort of to begin with God's kingdom. God, you are worthy of our worship. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that we got all that spiritual stuff out of the way, let's get to the real business and give me some bread. And it's sort of an interruption in thought. Yeah, 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 kingdom stuff, all that is great for tomorrow, but today I need bread. Do you hear that, God? That's my stomach. I think that's actually a pretty misleading interpretation. Jesus is saying, God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth, that is today, as it will be done, as it has always been done where you are. So bring your kingdom to earth today. And give me today a taste of the kingdom that is to come. Now, I don't know about you, but life is difficult. And I need each and every day a taste of the bread that is to come. The bread that I eat today never satisfies. I have in my heart a list of if-only thoughts. And every if-only thought I've ever had has led me to only one place. That's the place of disappointment. Right now, Susie and I are living in the lap of luxury at the Mercer But we are thinking, if only we could move into a house. But I've lived in a house before. And I just know that house is not salvation. That's not a rival. That is not God's kingdom. But it is a taste of the kingdom to come. It reminds me of the home that I was created for. 
the home that is coming. When I eat bread, I am thankful. And today we're going to have communion. And later I'm going to invite you to pray that God let this wine and this bread be a taste of the bread and the wine that is to come. Let it remind us the hunger that it leaves us with, the thirst that it leaves us with, remind us that the wine from heaven is yet to come. Chris talked about Mary's place. This ministry breaks my heart. I can't imagine as a dad, as a husband, my wife, with my four little girls, homeless. That is an unthinkable thought to me. And a part of me says, what's the point? It's just a week. They're sleeping on, in a church building. It's not a house. But I know, I know it's worth it. Because it is a taste. A taste. And so this, this is the whole point, I think, of the Lord's Prayer. That we pray for a taste that is to come. Now, daily bread is great. Memories are wonderful. History is absolutely necessary for the future. But if you live in a place of gratitude only, you cannot go into the future. Yes, we are thankful. Yes, we remember. But just as Bud said, we remember so that we can have faith and hope for the bread that is to come. You and I, we are present today so that we can bring about the coming kingdom. The chairs we sit in are not comfortable enough. The room that shelters us, it's not warm enough. The relationships that we have now, it's not loving enough. There is more to come. There are greater things to come. And this is why we work and live and move and have our being. This is why we exist and persist as a church. For the kingdom that is to come. And as a church, we preach Christ because ultimately every bread we taste, every bread that is broken for us is insufficient. He is the bread of heaven, the bread of life that was ultimately broken for you and I. And until we meet face to face, everything else serves at their very shining best as an arrow pointing to the bread that is to come. And as a reminder of this, his, bread, his body the bread was broken, and his blood, the wine, was spilt to serve as a reminder, as Bud said, of his return, of a home that is waiting for us, of tears being wiped away for, for good, forever. Many of you work very diligently every day, Doctors and lawyers and engineers, moms and dads. All of us, we work not because there's ultimate meaning in our jobs or in the people that we help right now only so that they suffer again. But we work hard so that they might experience a taste of the kingdom that is coming. And that, my friends, is worth it.
Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. When we begin to understand that Jesus is coming and that he is the only bread that satisfies, that actually causes us to work harder because we want to ourselves and others to believe that he alone can satisfy. And we say, so, dear, taste of this love that I have for you. It's insufficient. It's not going to do the job, but it's going to remind you of Jesus who is to come. And so those who are citizens of heaven make the very best citizens of earth. Because God's kingdom is coming, we work hard at being the very best church today. Church, I want to remind you that we have a past. It's a wonderful past, and without the past, we would not be. But without a future, there is no point to our existence today. And as an ENTP on the Myers-Briggs scale, I live about 80% in the future. But I can be very present if I have hope. I am fully engaged in the matters of today if it's connected to tomorrow. But I think that's how all of us are. Without hope, we are stopped dead in our tracks. A couple of application points. First, prayer. Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, is an act of presence based on hope for the future. I want you to think about that. Prayer is an act of presence based on hope for the future. And so with hope in your hearts for the future, I invite you to pray. Say, God, today I need a taste of your kingdom. Today my friends need a taste of your kingdom. Today this church needs to provide tastes of your coming kingdom. Help me to be a part of that. And this taste builds faith, it eases suffering, and it gives hope. Second application, listening. I, invite you, I invited you to a season of listening, 30 days of listening. I want to direct that listening a little bit today. Say, God, help me to listen to the people around me who have been here. Help me to ask questions and to figure out why this church was started in the first place. So I want to give you a listening assignment. Find out one reason for which this church was started this week. Ask somebody. Say, God, what was your original intent for this church? And have we fallen short of that intent? And listen to the answer. On the night in which our Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took the bread and breaking it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat, and as you do, remember me. And then after the meal, he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. 
take and drink, and as you do, remember me. Church, I invite you today to partake of communion. We're going to practice an old 5th century method called intinction. It means that we take the bread and we dip it into the wine. And when you are ready, take the elements into your mouth. Don't do it unconsciously or subconsciously, but be deliberate about it and taste of the bread. Taste of the wine. And say, Jesus, this is a symbol of your body that was broken for us. And it's a promise at the same time of the bread that is to come. Bread that will permanently satisfy. Wine that will permanently satisfy. Bow your heads with me. Jesus, you taught your disciples how to pray. And you taught us to pray that we would pray and ask for the coming of your kingdom, not just in the distant future, but today. That your kingdom would come today. That this eschatological future would be realized in part today. And we are thankful that we can embody, embody the the reality of this kingdom through our small and big acts, through our words and our silence, through our hopes and our dreams, through listening and speaking. And today we remember you, that your body was broken for us so that we might have this taste, that your blood was spilt, that we might have this taste. We love you, Lord, because you have first loved us, and we trust you now to love us into the future. Amen. Can I invite the ushers forward? Or uh, oh, ushers are already at your stations. Can I have the two ushers here to come up here to uh, serve the elements with me? When you are ready, worship team, come on up. When you are ready, receive the elements. There are eight stations all around the church. Come to whatever station is convenient for you.